0: If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 is where we, where we started last week in this new series entitled, He Is. And what we're doing over the course of these next several weeks together is taking a look at... Uh, trying to cut through some of the sentiment that surrounds Christmas and see the arrival of Jesus in his first coming and look forward to his arrival in his second coming. So that's why we celebrate Advent here at Redeemer, to look back upon Jesus' first coming and look forward toward his second. And this morning, we find ourselves in Isaiah chapter 9, as we were last week, and we will be for the next couple, looking at these designations. That Isaiah gives to this child who would be born, the son who would be given, upon whose shoulders would rest the government of God's people, and who would bring righteousness and justice and execute them. And so we're looking at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 this morning. And as we walk through this time of transition as a church, what I want us to do is to turn our eyes and to turn our hearts toward the one who is able to give us peace. So in Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 6, Isaiah writes these words, he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So we look at this last designation this morning given by Isaiah to the child who will be born, the son who will be given, and he calls him the prince of peace. So this morning what I want to do, and I don't typically preach this way, I don't typically go here's a point from this text and here's a point from this text and here's a point from this text. But I'm going to break my rule this morning a little bit and look at this theme of peace across the Bible and see how, what Jesus comes to inaugurate and his rule comes to bring for our lives. And the first thing that I want to show you is out of this text in Isaiah chapter 9 this morning is it's this, is that when Jesus comes, he comes to stitch everything back together. He comes, his rule comes as a prince of peace. He comes to stitch everything back together. You see, when our first parents fell in the garden, and Adam and Eve took of the fruit of the, of the knowledge of the, of, the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they ate of that fruit. And they they violated the relationship they had with God. They didn't trust God. They thought, God, we can figure things out better than you can. So we want to know for ourselves. And they took that fruit. And the pulling of that fruit down from the tree and to their mouths, they were essentially grabbing the, the cord or the strand or the thread of wholeness and completeness. And they were beginning to unravel it. They're beginning to pull on it, right? You ever had one of those threads on a piece of clothing, like on a sweater, that just kind of gets dislodged? And the more you pull on it, the more the thing, just kind of the garment begins to unravel. Well, in that first pulling of that fruit, our first parents began to unravel the wholeness and completeness and flourishing of humanity. And what what, what Isaiah says Jesus would be, whenever he shows up, is he would be the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. And that word peace there in the Old Testament, we translate it in our English Bible's peace. And in the Old Testament, it comes from a Hebrew word called shalom. And that word shalom, while it does mean what we typically think of as peace as being the absence of conflict or of war or of strife or of division, it also has a positive spin to it as well. Because it's not just the absence of these things, but it's also the presence of wholeness and completeness and flourishing and delight for all humanity. That's what shalom is in the Old Testament. You might say it this way, when you think of shalom, shalom is the way things are supposed to be. They're the way things ought to be. But listen, a quick glance around our land and also in our lives reveals to us that everything is not the way that it's supposed to be, is it? It's not. In 1991, Danny Glover, he starred in a movie entitled The Grand Canyon. And in that movie, Danny Glover played a character named Simon. He was a tow truck driver. And Simon gets dispatched to a stranded motorist in the urban inner city. And whenever he shows up on the scene, he finds that this motorist has been surrounded by, um, it was a very crime-ridden neighborhood full of lots of gang activity, and this motorist has been surrounded by these gang members who were trying to rip him off as he waits for the tow truck to come and bring him to a shop. And the the leader of the gang, his name was Rockstar, I imagine that was a pretty... uh, fitting name for a gang leader uh, but but Simon shows up on the scene he begins to engage in this conversation with Rockstar and listen I want to, I want to run it down for you because I think it's, it's very profound in the way that it captures the essence of the way things are in our world when, when Danny Glover's character Simon shows up on the scene he says speaking to Rockstar he says I've got to ask you for a favor he says let me go my way here this trucks my responsibility and now that the car's hooked up to it it's my responsibility too And Rockstar says, do you think that I'm stupid? Just answer that question first. And Simon responds, look, I I don't know nothing about you. I don't know, you don't know nothing about me. I don't know if you're stupid or if you're some kind of genius. All I know is that I need to get out of here and you've got the gun. So I'm asking you for the second time, let me go my way here. And Rockstar responds and says, I'm going to grant you that favor and I'm going to expect you to remember it if we ever meet again. But tell me this, are you asking me as a sign of respect or are you asking me because I've got the gun? And Simon says, man, the world ain't supposed to work like this. He says, I mean, maybe you don't, maybe you don't know that yet. I'm supposed to be able to do my job without having to ask you if I can That dude is supposed to be able to wait with his car without you ripping him off. Everything is supposed to be different than it is. And that captures the essence of what the Old Testament speaks of when it speaks of shalom. That everything is supposed to be different than it is. There should be wholeness where there is fractures. There should be completeness where there are fragments everything is supposed to be different than it is so shalom is not just the absence of conflict that we think of we think of kind of like shalom we think of peace as kind of being like the absence of war in our world but it's also the presence of human flourishing it's not just this neutral state that we find ourselves in in fact theologian Cornelius Plantinga he goes on to describe shalom in his book entitled Not the Way It's Supposed to Be and when he describes it listen, he captures it so beautifully This is what he says. He says the shalom is the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. We call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing or wholeness. It's a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, he says, is the way things ought to be. And then he flushes it out beautifully with all this descriptive language. Listen to what he says. He says it would include, for instance, strong marriages and secure children. Nations and races would treasure differences in other nations and races as attractive, important, and complementary. He says government officials would still take office because somebody has to decide when the trash is going to be taken up and when the streets are going to be cleaned. He says, but to no one's surprise, those government officials would tell the truth and freely praise the virtues of other public officials instead of criticizing them, mudslinging and calling their character into question. He says highway overpasses would be free from graffiti. Tow truck drivers and airing motorists would be serene on inner city streets. Business associates would rejoice in one another's promotions as opposed to rising up against them in jealousy. He says middle of the road Harvard students would respect the Phi Beta Kappas from University of Southern North Dakota at Hopple. And they would learn from them. They would learn from them. He says, intercontinental ballistic missile silos would be converted into training tanks for scuba divers. And all around the world, people would stimulate and encourage one another's virtues. Newspapers, have you read the paper lately? They, They still make those, by the way. It's not filled with very good accounts oftentimes, but he says newspapers would be filled with well-written accounts of acts of great moral beauty. And at the end of the day, people on their porches would read these and savor them and call to each other about them. Then he says, above all, in the vision of Christianity, God would preside in unspeakable beauty for which human beings long and in the mystery of the holiness that draws human worship like a magnet. In turn, each human being would reflect the color and color the light of God's presence out of the unique resources of his or, her own, uh, his or her own character and essence. Human communities, he says, would present their ethnic and regional specialties to other communities in the name of God in glad recognition that God, too, is a radiant and hospitable community of three persons. And then finally, he says, in their accents, their own accents, communities would experience praise, praise, courtesies and deferences that when massed together would keep building like waves of a passion that is never spent. He says that's shalom. The way things are supposed to be. And when Jesus, when, the, when, when Isaiah says that Jesus would be the prince of peace and of his rule and his reign that it would be one characterized by an ever increasing peace He's saying that when Jesus shows up he shows up to take the thread of human dignity and the thread of human uh, wholeness and human flourishing that has been unraveled by, this, by sin and the fall and he takes that thread and he begins to re-stitch everything back together. That he's come to stitch everything back together. So Jesus is this Prince of Peace of the one who's come to make everything the way that it should be, the way that it's supposed to be, the way that it ought to be. And so when you, when you think about this peace that Jesus brings and his stitching everything back together, for the rest of the time that we have together this morning, what I, what I want to talk about is the three ways across the Bible that he does that. Right, if you think of God's peace, that he brings as a river. But right? every river has a headwater to it. In other words, it has a point of origin and it flows downstream from that. It's so when you think about the very first movement that we need to think of with regards to this peace that Jesus has come to bring that he's come to inaugurate this rule of ever-increasing peace where more and more and more of human experience is being stitched back together to the way things are supposed to be. The headwaters of that, the headwaters of that is the vertical peace that Jesus has come to bring between us and God. So he begins it by stitching us back together with God. He begins by doing it vertically. 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 See the Bible, the consistent testimony of the scripture is this is that we were all born as rebels, not rebels without a cause, but rebels with a cause. And our cause, our cause was to be our own gods, to call our own shots, to dictate our own destinies. That was our cause coming out of the womb. And vertically, we resisted against God and we kicked against God and we fired shots against God. In fact, when we were born, we came out of the womb locked and loaded, firing shot after shot after shot after shot across the bow of human history and across the bow of our lives, both corporately and individually, firing shots at God. Because we want to dictate our own destinies and determine our own ends. We want to be our own God's. And the result of that sin, the Bible says, is that we find ourselves in a position where we are estranged from God, we're alienated from God, we're cut off from Him. In fact, the Apostle Paul picks up on this in several places. One in Colossians chapter 1 verse 21, where he's speaking to Christians about their former position. And he says this in Colossians 1 21, he says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So there were things that flowed out of your heart and your mind because your heart and your mind were resistant to God. And you were hostile towards Him. You were at war with Him. And there were were skirmishes and battles at every front and on every line of your life. And you found yourself to be alienated as a result of it. Or he says it this way, in Ephesians 2, 3, he says that we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So coming out of the womb, we found ourselves in a position where we, we, had, we had brought upon ourselves the, the anger and just wrath of God on account of our rebellion and sin against His eternal and gracious love. And Paul says we were alienated, we were cut off, we were hostile towards God. And being in that position, being in that position, you got one of two ways to go about trying to reestablish this vertical peace. You can either try and produce peace yourself by your own actions and your own works. In other words, you can try and be stitched back together with God, be have that relationship reconciled, find your wholeness and completeness and flourishing with God by what you do for Him or you can enjoy the peace that he has purchased for you and enter into it based on what he's done for you. One of two options. You can either try and call a ceasefire with God by all of your good works, or you can experience the ceasefire that has been called by one who's worked in your place. Those are the two options, biblically. And biblically, over and over again, what you find is that the former option of trying to call a ceasefire with God based upon your work is always going to leave you at war with God again. But the latter, not trying to do it for your, produce it for yourself, but entering into it, biblically is the only option that we really seem to have to be stitched back together vertically with God in fact Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 5 verse 1 he says he, he goes on in Romans early in the book of Romans talk about how we're we all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory from the Jew the Gentile the Greek everyone who's ever lived and then in chapter 4 he talks about how uh, we've been justified by grace through faith and then he comes in chapter 5 to continue to talk about our justification and he says this therefore since we've been justified by faith we have Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So through, it, through what Jesus has done and through trusting His finished work for us, that now we have peace with God. We're no longer alienated from Him, but we've been brought in and reconciled to Him. That that fractured relationship and that fragmented life that we've experienced apart from Him is now being made whole because of our trust in Jesus, not because of our spiritual resume. He says, peace with God has been procured for us or purchased for us by Jesus. And so all we have left to do is not to try and work to produce it, but to enter into it. To enter into it. D.L. Moody was a great evangelist in the late 1800s, and he said it this way. He said, a great many people are trying to make peace, but that has already been done. God has not left it for us to do. All that we have to do is enter into it. See, what God has done in Jesus is taken those of us who were rebels and He's reconciled us to Himself. Those who were once hostile toward God. And He Himself has called the ceasefire in the person of His Son to remove His wrath from us and place it upon Jesus, who would bear our sins in our place so that we might enjoy peace where there was once hostility. That's what God has done. We can't produce it ourselves. He begins to stitch us back together vertically with God as he reunites us from the one whom we had been cut off from on account of our sin. And he says, all you have to do, all you have to do is trust the one who was torn to pieces for you to bring you peace. In fact, Isaiah 53, Isaiah says it this way, He says in verse 4, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us, what? Peace. And by His wounds we are healed. See, what happened with Jesus at the cross is that his flesh was stripped from his body. He was torn to pieces so that you might have peace. He was taken apart so that you might be put back together. And he says, all you have to do is enter into that through trusting the one who was torn apart for you. So before we go any further this morning, I want to ask you this question. There may be some of you in the room this morning who have never crossed the line of faith. In all of your life, you felt like there was this sense of incompleteness and that there was this lack of wholeness in your life and you tried all kinds of things to feel complete and to feel whole. And you thought that flourishing in life would come through all kinds of avenues. Maybe even through very religious avenues and so you continued to offer up all your good works to God to make peace with Him. But all you found thus far is that what he sees in your, all your good deeds to try and make peace with him yourself is that what he sees are filthy rags. Have you ever really crossed the line of faith and laid all of your trust on Jesus as the one who was torn to pieces so that you might have peace? As the one who was taken apart so that you could be put back together? If you have not, then for some of you, the first step this morning toward the enjoyment of this peace that Jesus has come to bring, the stitching back together of all things, the first step for you is to cross the line of faith. And if that's you this morning, I would love to visit with you about this after this message. But for those of you who have crossed that line of faith, I want to press this a little bit further into your lives because this vertical dynamic, the headwaters is here with God, God making peace for us with himself through his son. It's the headwaters and everything that flows out of that, what flows out of that is not only does God stitch us back together with himself vertically, but what he's doing in our lives for those of us who've crossed the line of faith and trusted in Jesus is he begins to stitch us back together internally and stitch us back together horizontally. So those next two movements, internally First. In Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's very interesting in, in Philippians chapter 4, what Paul does is he sets up this, this, this contrast between anxiety and peace. Right In verse 6, he says, he commands us, don't be anxious about anything. Then in verse 7, he says, with prayer and supplication, with making, you present your request to God, and whenever you come to God in prayer with thanksgiving, then this peace begins to guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus, the, Peace that Jesus has come to bring, the stitching us back together, not only has a vertical dimension, but it also has an internal one. It has an internal one. See, the word Paul uses in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, when he speaks of being anxious about nothing, that word anxiety in the Greek literally means this, to be divided, to be in pieces. And that's what it feels like to be anxious, doesn't it? It feels like there's fragments all over your life. Internally. You ever experienced that? In seasons of anxiety? Where it feels like something internally is being torn into pieces. My daughter who, who who's she reminded me yesterday she's five and a half now, going on 17. Uh, but she is five and a half. And she, she Many of you know her story. As When she was born, she was born with a birth defect and she's had six surgeries over the course of her five years and i will have a seventh early next year. But I can remember sitting in the hospital room the morning after Karen delivered. And I can remember the hospitalist coming in and saying, your daughter's been transferred to the ICU. We want to observe her. Here's what we think is going on. And right in those moments, in that moment, in the moments flowing out of it, it was like somebody was taking my heart and was just kind of tearing it into small pieces as anxiety began to rise. I remember for her first surgery, her first major cranial reconstruction surgery, leading up to it, I was, you know, the strong, silent type who's just kind of trying to be the rock. And so we're there in pre-op and I hand my daughter over into the hands of the anesthesiologist and I walk out into the wedding area with friends and family and I went to the bathroom and I shut the door and locked it and I wept like a baby because it felt like somebody was tearing my heart into pieces. Have you ever been there? That's what anxiety feels like. It feels like somebody's taking your very soul and shredding it what it feels like to be torn and what Paul says to us in Philippians chapter 4 he says do not be anxious about anything in other words he's saying don't let anything tear you to pieces internally don't anything let don't let anything make your soul fragmented we could say, Paul, Paul would say to us this morning, he would say, don't let death or disease or divorce tear you to pieces internally. Some of you are there this morning as you continue to grieve the loss of those that you love. There are people in our community right now for whom, children in our community right now for whom this Christmas is the first time moms and dads are living in separate homes and in their little hearts are being torn. But he says, don't let death, disease, or divorce tear you into pieces. Don't let somebody else's sin against you or their selfishness begin to tear your soul into pieces. Don't let an election or inauguration tear you into pieces in anxiety. We could go on and say, don't let your marital status tear you into pieces and create anxiety in this season where it seems like every commercial is about engagement rings and about family dinners. If you're a single adult, don't let that tear you into pieces. Don't let change tear you into pieces. Change is the one thing that we all hate the most, but it's also the one thing that's constant in life. Don't let relocations tear you into pieces, sickness and suffering. Don't let a turbulent past, a stormy present, or an uncertain future tear you into pieces, Paul says. Don't live in that don't, don't settle into that anxiety and allow it to rip you to shreds. He says, rather than being anxious, anxious about everything, what does he say to do? In everything, through prayer and petition, bring your request to God with thanksgiving. And the peace of God, he says would guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He said the peace of God, Jesus beginning to stitch us back together internally, he says would function like a windbreak in our lives. That no matter how hard the winds are blowing around us in our circumstances or seasons, that internally there would be a, there would be calm, there would be a calm there. I don't know about you, but when I, when I drive across I-30 sometimes uh, across the lake, And you like this time of the year whenever those cold fronts begin to roll in out of the north and the winds begin to howl from the north on that north side of the lake it's like white caps and there's just like it's like red water it's all stirred up with that sediment but on the south side of the lake just south of those rocks along I-30 like you can't even see a ripple on the water why? because there's a windbreak there so no matter how hard the wind's blowing on one side on the other side there's calm and that's what Paul's describing in Philippians chapter 4 that no matter how hard the winds and the waves are blowing no matter how stirred up the sediment is externally he says you can have access to this peace that provides a calm and clarity internally because Jesus has come to stitch us back together with God but also stitch us back together internally. But how do you access it? Look at what he says. This internal peace He says, don't be anxious, don't be torn into shreds, but in everything, present your prayers to God. Present your prayers to God. How do you present them, does he say? With thanksgiving. Now, what Paul doesn't say there, he doesn't come and say, hey, listen, go to God in prayer, and when he answers the way that you want him to answer, then give him thanks. (laughs) That's not what he says in the text. He says, when you bring your prayer to God before God ever answers, before there ever seems to be a path forward, before there ever seems to be clarity upon where your feet should fall, he says, bring that prayer to God with thanksgiving. Now here's the question for us that we wrestle with. How do you bring prayers to God with thanksgiving before you even know how God is going to respond? Before you even know what his answer is going to be? The only way that you and I can do that is if we begin to wrap our minds and our hearts around the relationship between God's sovereignty and His love. So that whenever you get on your knees before God and you bring your prayers to Him and you're asking Him for direction or you're asking Him for provision or you're asking Him for clarity. That you get on your knees and you recognize that God indeed is sovereign and He rules and reigns over all things. And that He is omniscient. you know what that means? That's a big, like, ten-cent theological term. It means this, that God knows everything. That He knows everything. And so when you get on your knees before God, you can bring your prayers to Him with thanksgiving before He ever answers if you recognize... That because God knows everything, that He will give to you whatever you would have asked for if you knew everything that He knows. I don't know everything God knows. And if you're human, like me, you don't know everything that God knows. There's a limitation to what we know. And yet we get on our knees and we say, God, I'm going to offer this prayer to you with thanksgiving because I know you're going to answer and I know that you're going to give me whatever I would have asked for if I knew everything that you knew. Some of you have found yourself in those seasons before. Maybe in relationships that didn't work out the way that you thought they would. in friendships that maybe derailed and had a train wreck. Maybe in job situations. in relocations. But Paul says, this peace, this peace will stitch you back together internally and keep you from being ripped apart in your hearts and in your minds. It will provide a windbreak for you if instead of Talking about these things, talk about them. It's healthy to talk about them. Instead of complaining about all these things, instead of worrying and fretting about all these things, that you get on your knees and you pray about all these things, knowing that God's going to give you whatever you would have asked for if you knew everything that He knows. That's what Paul says. This peace that Jesus is the prince of will stitch you together internally and hold you together internally no matter what winds or waves are blowing externally. And then finally, this morning, the headwaters is this vertical relationship between us and God. And it begins to flow out as Jesus stitches us together internally but he also provides for peace horizontally. Horizontally not only in our souls and our hearts, but in our relationships with others. In fact, when you read the Scriptures in the New Testament, you're going to see in several places where we're admonished, we're commanded, we're encouraged. Paul's kind of getting behind us and pushing us towards being stitched together with other people, being whole in our relationships, not only whole vertically with God and whole internally with ourselves, but whole in our relationships with others. In fact, in fact, apart from being made whole and brought, made, things being made right between us and God and God beginning to piece us back together internally and stitch us together so that we're not riddled with anxiety, apart from those two things, you won't have the third. Because have you ever noticed that those individuals whose lives internally seem to be most pulled apart and most fragmented and most kind of shredded filled with anxiety, they tend to also be sources of drama horizontally in relationships because they have not yet found the windbreak for their souls in Jesus. So they might burn through relationship after relationship after relationship after relationship, relationship, whether it be romantically or whether it be platonically, whether it be in in marriages, in dating scenarios, or whether it just be in good friendships. Friendships. They burn through all kinds of relationships because there's no windbreak for their soul. And yet in Romans chapter 12 verse 18, Paul says this, he says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, that there be wholeness in your relationships with other people. you be stitched together with them. Again in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14, we're, we're told to strive for peace with everyone. With everyone that there will be a wholeness in our relationships and that wholeness horizontally it's a whole lot it's a a whole lot like harmonies that you might hear people sing you ever heard two really good voices singing together I guess some of you haven't so when you hear two really good voices singing together because you kind of gave me that blank stare when you hear two really good voices singing together right when one is trying to outshine the other they're like I'm gonna compete right what happens is typically a train wreck on the microphone but whenever you hear two really great voices singing together say I'm not trying to outshine anybody but they're working together to harmonize there's a beautiful a beautiful sound that emanates the other way it's kind of a little bit painful right when, when, when notes are just off or they're trying to compete with each other, it's a painful experience but whenever they're harmonizing together, it's a pleasurable one for our ears. And the same is true in our horizontal relationships. Is that because God has made peace with us through His Son, Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith in Him, and because He's stitching us back together internally so we're not being pulled apart by every wind and wave of life, then we can move out toward other people and have beautiful harmonies horizontally in our relationships. And and the crazy thing is, about that sometimes, is that it might be relationships you never would have expected to have harmonization in. You might look out and go, man, I never would have thought because these people, like I like to go, you know, fish and hunt and shoot guns. They like to go shop and drink tea, and I'm at a loss now. So, but our, our interests, our interests are, couldn't be further apart. I never would have thought there could be a harmony in our relationship. I didn't think they were my people. But because of this vertical relationship I have with God, and because of the way that He's putting me back together internally and making me whole, you can move out towards them and sometimes the people you didn't think would be your people, they're your people and you begin to harmonize with them in beautiful ways that bring great glory to God Jesus is the Prince of Peace He has come to stitch everything back together and it begins with Him making us right with God and the effects of that, as they settle into our lives, is that He begins to make us whole personally. And He begins to make us whole interpersonally in our relationships. My hope and my prayer for each of us as we move toward the celebration of Jesus' birth is that what we would find is that Jesus is stitching us back together. That he's stitching us back together. That things in our lives are becoming the way they ought to be. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, we come with grateful hearts for all that you've given We come with joyful hearts for all we expect to receive because you have promised and you are a God who keeps his promises. Father, I pray that this Advent as we move toward the end of another year that your Son, who is our Prince of Peace, that he would begin to stitch us together as a church, he would begin to stitch us together individually, make us whole and complete. Father, for those who have not yet crossed the line of faith and they've continued to try and uphold their own, produce their own peace by their own actions and works, God, I pray that you would graciously and lovingly break them of that. And they might take a step to enter into the peace that's already been purchased for them by the one who was torn to pieces on their behalf. For those of us who have crossed the line of faith, God, I pray, I pray that we would find Jesus this Advent to be stitching us together internally. That we would not be riddled and torn apart by anxiety. But that the peace that your Son has brought would be a windbreak for our souls. It would guard our hearts and minds. And may we offer all of our anxiety up to you. And finally, God, as you stitch us together internally, may you do so horizontally as well. I pray where there are relationships that are strained, God, I pray that you would bring us to a place of harmonization so that what this body of believers has to offer to this community is something that is pleasant and beautiful. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.